VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi everybody, this is The Rut from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks once again for joining us on our regular Monday date. I'm Stephen Jones of The Sunday Times. I'm joined by Stuart Barnes, who divides his loyalties between The Times and The Sunday Times, just as well as he did between Bristol and Bath in the old days as a player. Coming up on the podcast this week, we'll be joined by none other than Premiership Rugby's Chief Executive, Simon Massey-Taylor. We'll be putting to him all the key questions, including the dread fate of Sweet Caroline, which must go. We look back on the Premier 15's final. Sarri's secured another title, and none other than their captain, Marley Packer, will be with us. The Premiership's regular season is over. We know the semi-finals. Northampton secured the final playoff spot with a really exciting performance. We'll also review the final round of fixtures, look at the semi-finals, both in the Premiership and the URC. Stuart, um, where did you venture on the weekend? I was at Gloucester, um, and it was a good occasion, actually. Uh, there was a real air of relaxation because no one really thought Newcastle were going to put it up to Northampton. And, um, you know, it was a weak Saracens team, but I, I felt that, uh, it was a, an emphatic exclamation mark of a finish for Gloucester. I think they can look forward uh, to a good pre-season and, and, and I think they could be contenders in the top four next year. Well, I was at Northampton, and always a good uh, venue. First of all, let's revert to the Premier 15s. Won by Saracens, player of the match, possibly as expected, was the great Marley Packer. Well, now we've got Marley with us. Marley, uh, two tries, player of the match, title for Saracens. Life couldn't get much better, really, could it? No, not really, and off on holiday tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, no, it's pretty sweet at the moment. Uh, really, like, over the moon with just how, how the team performed, but obviously myself as well, um, in to, to, to win that championship back again. We better not say where you're going to hold it because the paparazzi might follow, might follow you. <laughs> Saracens have won it three times, and I think one of the things that you may have mentioned before the game was that it, it must have felt brilliant because the two teams that have beaten you this year, i.e. Quinns and Exeter, you saw them off in the semis and the final. 
Yeah, and, and I think that was a massive thing for us. Um, obviously, the domestic season, like every team in the league are getting better and better. And mm. there's no, like, you don't turn up and game to a game and think, oh, yeah, we're going to win this. But it's just by how many points. It's like, we've got to turn up and we've got to put performance on and be the best version of ourselves. Um, and Exeter, fair play to them. Uh, I think they, they beat us and it was the biggest scoreline against us um, mm. since the league's been going. Um, but I just think that's credit to them, but also just shows that with the Six Nations going on, obviously we lost a lot of players to the Six Nations. Mm. We picked up a few injuries during that time as well. Uh, Georgie Evans obviously broke her arm in the Bristol game a few weeks before the Six Nations. So like, there was a few like key elements going into that game that weren't quite back together and taking over. But look, we learned from that loss. We went on and then played Wasp the week after, which was still a tough game. The first half was, uh, yeah, they, they put quite a few points on us, but we got it back in the second half. And then to go into the semi-final and how we did were, you know, that's when it really matters. At the end of the season, when it's knockout rugby, that's when you need your team to turn up and perform. And that's certainly what we did this uh, this end of this season. Sure. I mean, the, the initial, initially in the in the opening sort of phases of play, they they really came at you. What What is it about uh, Saracens that enables you to kind of ride that out and then impose your own game is it experience is it um is it just sort of self-belief is it something deep down in the in the squad or what yeah I, I think it's all of those things to be fair like the belief in our squad is, is unreal um like uh, we've got a winning mentality and we trust in what we do uh Obviously, it wasn't ideal for them to come at us for those those first phases. I think it was like nearly like two minutes were like I think it was like ten ten phases they they got up to maybe plus. Mm. But look, we just trust in what we do. We're, we're sometimes a team, and if you look at us throughout the throughout the season, that actually it isn't until a team scores first against us or something happens where we got our back up against the wall that we actually come out fighting and firing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have talked a lot about that this season. How can we get that switch to happen in the warm up so we're ready and we're firing? Um, it doesn't take us to go try down to to sort our stuff out. Um, but yeah, like we got the that McKenna made an awesome tackle, which then forced them to make an error that got us that uh, the penalty turnover. And then I think within the next ten minutes, we got our first try, and we were, we were coming out the block. So you know, it's a belief thing, and it's just a trust in our processes and what we're doing. And I know it sounds a bit boring, like cliche, because a lot of people say that, but actually, it, that's massively what it was for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not boring it, at all. It, <laughs> like we're, we're, we're a team that maybe obviously we've had COVID and that was a long time that we couldn't socialise as a team and maybe we weren't the team that we thought we were before as in uh, like that synergy and that come together off the pitch mm. but I really feel like this season we've got a new a new forward uh, coach in Chippy um, he's obviously got an amazing career himself mm. and then obviously um, and then he brings like what the men's values are, but like what they're like on and off the pitch down to us. And I feel like that camaraderie off the pitch, he's really brought it and brought us together. And that's why I feel like the semis and the final, how we played, is not just about how we've been playing on the pitch, but it's how we've come together off the pitch. Sure, sure. Um, you go back quite a fair time with England now. Do you go back to the World to World Cup, etc.? Have you? Have you? Look, it's difficult to comment on your own performance, but it seems to me you probably never played better. 
Yeah, it is really difficult because like there's times that people say this is like the season of my life and I'm playing amazingly. But like there are times previously when I've been in the sevens program, fifteens program, and switch between that, I feel like I've been fitter, I've been better and uh, better than what I am right now. But it's not what people are saying to me. But look, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing. Smile on my face. Um, it, maybe that actually the pressure's off. Like obviously. Uh, there's no lie, I am one of the senior players of both squads now. Mm. Um, and actually, maybe when I was a bit younger, I worried a lot about what, what the coaches thought, what they want from me. Maybe I didn't switch off when I went home when I should have done and like watched more rugby. I was worried about like nutrition, S&C and all that kind of stuff. Whereas now I'm a little bit like, like I know what I'm doing. I've just got to sure. do that and not worry about it. And when I come home to Oliver like that, that that there's that switch off straight away because you know when I come home to that chirpy little face you can't not switch, <laughs> um, yeah, not not be a hundred percent Oliver so yeah sure understood um, the the league itself uh, you say it's getting better and better and it does seem to be sort of surging in terms of standards everybody wants a piece of it now there's some of the big clubs kind of circling and maybe entering teams uh, Leicester uh, Newcastle etc. How, how how much has it improved since it started? Because it's now becoming kind of like rather than just two teams being playing well, there's a lot more now who are competitive, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think it just keeps pushing the women's game and it's great. Like the investment from the RFU, but even the investment from the clubs themselves as well. Like it's not, oh, we're just going to have a women's team. Like we want to push our women's team. We want to push the game and be the best we can be. And like, full credit to Exeter like they've been in our league I think two years mm. and they've got to a final um, it, it, it's amazing how they've done it and like it's super uh, like their programme super different than our programme at Saracens but like look they've got themselves to a final it's now like how they can keep pushing to, to strive to be better and push other teams around them Bristol was up there um, in the playoffs as well and we like the likes of Harlequins like we, we've met Harlequins for the last three finals so to have someone different was mm. was really good um and it just shows that you know we can have a final in a semi-final and you know that that london derby harlequin saracens mm. or saracens was kind of thing they're 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 the kind of games that people want to come and watch and mm -hmm. you know playing playing harlequins in the semi at stonex the the, the back in the club gave for that. Like we came out, there was fireworks, there was smoke flares. Uh, it was it was just a really special time up there. And and like the boys came down to watch, the coaches came, the men's coaches. So like, you know, it's really pushing. And I feel like even the final, like the, the men's coaches come to that, Nigel Ray, Lucy Ray, like those kind of people, like that they're, they're, they're talking about, so they want to come and watch. Like it's not just, oh, we've got a women's team. Like sure. they, they, they really believe in what we're doing. And, I know for me as a player, I just want to be keep performing at the best I can. So them guys keep standing up and saying, yeah, we want to back women's rugby. We want to put them in the best place we can do. Is it is it uh, no? Uh, is it still at the stage where some people uh, it, it, they have to really sort of struggle for it because they they still got the jobs and they have to. Um, you know, they have to put in the time with those, then they have to be a professional uh, on the rugby field. Do, do you think we're at the point where we may be making that a bit more fair, Marley? Um, no, I think obviously we're making it a bit more fair, but like I, I said it in a different interview the other day and I said about slow and steady and they said, Marley, I think 
that's one thing we would never hear come out of your mouth slow and steady. But like, you, you know, the the investment that people are putting in, like for things like S and C, the training, like even turning up all in matching kit. I know that sounds something really small and little, but it's mm. massive for us girls and in stuff like that. So you know, those things are getting big ticks at the moment. All right, we've got. I like I say it like we got players that are professional full time red roses, and then we got players that I still put as professional, but with a little p yeah. because they go to work, but they fit their gym programming. They turn up at evening training. They like they work their socks off to be the best they can be to either put the team in the best place they can or put themselves in the best place they can for the team. Like, like don't get me wrong, that like that's professionalism through and through. There, they just might might not have a full time contract mm-hmm. as a as an as a rugby player but you know time will come with that like I feel like the, the game is growing it's women's rugby is like one of the fastest um growing sports still at the moment sure. and I I feel really special to be a part of that and hopefully one day that we do see that the whole league is professional but it's going to take time but we need to make sure that we keep putting on performances like the final like the semi-final it's going to get people to come in watch it and stay watching it Sure. Well, well, well said. Also, now um, you've got a holiday, but um, you've got something much bigger. Well, you've got something really big looming. That that's the World Cup. Yeah, something that you've you guys have had your eyes on for for, for so long. Um, <laughs> is it difficult to not to sort of lose energy by being too excited too early because you've got a heck of a program before you even get there? Yeah, we do. And like, look, we, we're going to have some downtime now. Um, We've got a few weeks off. Then we got coming into pre-season, which is, is, is going to be hard and long. Like pre-season last year was, we, we came together all as Red Roses and did four weeks together. And it was it was a tough four weeks, but mm. look, it put us in the best place we could possibly be. We've had a phenomenal season this season. So we'll do it again this season. And then hopefully a couple of uh, World Cup, like pre-World Cup friendlies, and then go over to New Zealand and uh, hopefully get the job done over there. But look, Right now, I'm just going to enjoy the next couple of weeks, which I hope the rest of the girls will do as well, because I think not just uh, the Red Roses, but the whole league, it's been a long season in the amount of work that we put in, but also our staff put in. We need to enjoy some downtime and then we go again. Sure. Just just uh, seems to be that New Zealand have sounded the the bugle and got every coach they've ever had together for to sort of bump up their team. So do you think that you're expecting to face a Kiwi team that's much better than the one you faced in the autumn? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and and I and I think that that like that's got to be expected. It's exactly the same. It's France. There's. Uh, rumours that the, the coaching structures changed there so mm. you're looking at that's going to be a bit different as well but look they're all challenges they're challenges for the future right now we just need to make sure what we're doing in our house is right for us to get us one on that plane to be in the best possible place we can be to take on those on those teams but look, we know France are in our pool game we've got to make sure we get a job done there but then we don't know where we're going to meet New Zealand yet but sure. when and where we do um, we just need to make sure we're ready for them. Marley, you've had an amazing season as a, as a team, as an international team and as an individual. I must, must congratulate you. have just got one more question. What can you tell us about the celebrations afterwards? Because uh, I've never seen any of you guys with a drink in your hand. Um, so, <laughs> so did you remain teetotal after the game or was there a real old-fashioned celebration? <laughs> no, absolutely not. There was a real good old-fashioned celebration. For me... Um, 
it, it, it was a little bit hard for me because we I actually had drug testing after the game. So the one game you never want to get drug tested on is a final because yeah. you know you don't get that changing room uh, aspect of it. But look, we're uh, Chippy, our forwards coach, has brought in the Tikatonga song. So when we win, we sing it in the change room. I honestly, they put me in the middle with the trophy. And as soon as that song went off, so much champagne, beer, and everything got sprayed everywhere. I couldn't breathe. So <laughs> let alone see anything. But yeah, no, it, it was a really good celebration. Then we um, we obviously got on the bus back to St. Albans and had a few drinks there. So that's probably why my voice is, is um, quite like it is. <laughs> well done. It's really good to hear. Uh, Marley Packer, thank you so much for joining us. Have a good break and uh, a good follow, a good uh, build up to the big one in New Zealand. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, well, it's great to hear from Mali. Uh, Saracens are the team uh, everyone now has to chase, as they once had to in the men's game. Uh, We'll revert now to the men's premiership and to the chief executive of the club's body, Premiership Rugby, Simon Massey-Taylor. Simon, um, we're going to go straight to the the, the key issue here, which I think a lot of us uh, are uh, really hanging on for. Sweet Caroline. Will you be banning it from all grounds? <laughs> um, it's gone I, too I, far. <laughs> it's a football song, isn't it? It's, but it's um, uh, no, I can't promise to ban it. From, I'm sorry, Steve. I can I can do a few things, but I can't ban that one. Um, moving on from Sweet Caroline, uh, which is always a good thing. Simon, um, when you first uh, joined Premiership Rugby and you gave out your your sort of thoughts for the future you said you wanted to make the, the the whole league way more accessible in terms of the narrow accessibility of the league in terms of its players uh and their access to the media and therefore to the public we find that the the it's some of the individual rugby clubs are incredibly restrictive with their players would well, you hope that will improve and surely it's got to yeah i, I think in short it, it has to um, i'm hopeful it, it will i think COVID probably didn't help, actually, as far as access. And there, there were quite a few barriers put up in place for, for folks like yourself to mm. be able to access uh, players, whether it's, it was at the ground or even pitch side. But I think sort of coming out of COVID, it, the, the, the relevance of the players and and their story and their narrative is has never been more important. And so I do think that that we are starting to see a mindset change um, across the board around access. That starts with the players, and I, th- I think there's um, there's a, a small handful of them who are really doing a great job in getting out there and and telling their own individual stories. But I think others are starting to follow, and then equally, I think we're starting to see a more open mind with um, with the clubs as well, who understand the importance of of, of players, their voice in building a sport. You know, club brands are important, club following is important, but players really are paramount here in, in, in selling the sport. Sure, absolutely. That's, that's good news. OK, well, we've we've got our semi-finals uh, at, at last and Saracens, Quinns, Leicester, Northampton apparently really looking like two uh, two crackers. Is that something for everyone to get their teeth into, Simon? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, we... We don't employ a scriptwriter here at Premiership Rugby, but if, if we did, I think um, they would um, they, they'd get pretty close to what we've got here with these with these two semi-finals. You know, we've got we've got two derbies, we've got um, subplots here with with rivalries between players. 
We've got three teams who weren't in the semi-finals last year. They've all got their individual stories and they're all massive clubs. So I think this weekend is, um, well, just... It's, it's just another great step in an amazing season. You know, this, this, this season's had a brilliant story um, and it's all really building up to the final now. So any, any of those teams really are going to be, um, you know, um, are going to draw a massive crowd for our final and, um, and, and showcase rugby at its best. With reference to your um, your words that you'd like, you'd think that this, the whole tournament could be sort of double its size, and you're clearly with your colleagues going going to boost it. I notice. Uh, I know it's not fair to compare everything with French rugby, but I noticed in Nice recently that they've got their two semi-finals in Nice on the same weekend. The city of Nice is plastered with marketing. Do you think that there might come a time when the two semis become sort of monstrous enough to to give it that? That treatment yeah it's something we're looking at actually over the next few months we're looking at generally what um what our big game strategy should be now clearly we have um some marquee moments already there's twickenham's game i'm um, sorry there's harlequin's game at twickenham at christmas saracens have started um to do big games at spurs um spurs home ground and and, and now we're trying to work out how how we can punctuate the season more with big games and the obvious question is to is to whether the semis becomes that big game moment. And um, yeah, I mean, building up to this new semi-final um, for the top 14, it, it looks incredible. I know that they recently held them in Marseille, which obviously was the, the host of the European finals a few weeks ago. And those types of destinations are, are brilliant for hosting um, big events. And so that's that's the, one of the questions we're going to try and answer over the next few months is to um, when and how we can um, grow our big games and whether the semi-final is, is one of them. And um, Simon, you, you've been quoted as saying that you'd like the final to be boosted up to the status of, in your words, a national monument, something which I think most people would totally agree and that it deserves to be. Where do you start with that and, and, and what in by what means can you sort of boost it up there or, or, almost like a rocket? Yeah, I think I think any cup final in any sport has the opportunity to capture the nation's imagination. <laughs> And we know that there's a, a large rugby audience that exists. You know, they turn out to watch the Six Nations um, every year. And there's plenty more fans out there as well. So we, we want to try and make this a must for all rugby fans, but also big eventers. And, and we think we've got a lot of that, those core ingredients there already. Um, you know, and, and, and I can guarantee that, that, that this final will be one of those. It's got the narrative. It's got the stadium. It's got the occasion. It's got that national moment. People want to come to Twickenham Stadium. Twickenham Stadium is, um, is a hard place to get tickets a, a lot of the time. And so that bit is key. Um, and, and clearly just trying to layer on the jeopardy of what this moment means. You know, this, this means a huge amount, not only to the players, but the fans there. Um, and so all those levels are important. So I think our core ingredients are good. And then it's, then it's about distribution. And so that's why the ITV partnership that we announced earlier on this year is so important because this year will be the first time that, that the Premiership final is on free-to-air TV mm-hmm. um, and that that will just help us grow that will help help us grow our numbers and I think you, you know you just need to sort of look back to last season and the and the travesty really that that, that the um, the Quinn's Exeter game was played in front of unfortunately only 10,000 people in the stadium um, and not not enough people saw what an amazing showcase that event is mm. so you know, building back up, free-to-air TV, pumping Twickenham Stadium, 
um, with with the clubs that, that are competing in the Premiership. We, you know, we think we've got a lot of the ingredients there to really build. It. In in terms of the well, what what's just in the recent past, and you mentioned COVID and everything, we've we've got a um, a cut in the salary cap now, which has gone from six point four million to five, which is which is a significant cut. I mean, I think people understand why you've made it. Also, some of the attendances this season have, have been somewhat sh- shaky. Um, are we actually fortunate that all the clubs managed to get through uh, the COVID period? Yes, in short, we are. And um, I think it's testament to to the resilience of the clubs, their owners. Um, you know, we, we, we have um, a debt of gratitude to the government as well, helped us with their winter sport recovery plan. Um, and so all those things have kept the, you know, the 13 current premiership clubs um, alive, frankly. And it's, but it's not over, as, as you referenced. I think you know, they, they've got over this this initial hump of the, of the last two years, but the, the consequences of, of COVID and that financial shock are, is more long lasting. You know, we're looking at really a sort of five year recovery, really, um, mm. um, for the sport generally and uh, across all aspects. So I think, you know, the, the, therefore, everything we do now is, 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 is focused or has definitely has one eye on trying to make sure that we grow back sustainably. Do we have to be patient in that time? Because, I mean, some of us and and and, and fans etc. who who realise how big it can be, who 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 thrill to the 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 sort of phenomenon of full crowds, packed crowds etc. and 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 the tribalism etc. It's 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 quite a, um, an impatient feeling, waiting for it to bounce back. Do we will we have to show patience? Well, I think the, the the crowds have have come back or are coming back. You know, I think we've cumulatively got over two million people now. I think we obviously um, it was slow uh, at the beginning of the season and 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 with that hiatus over Christmas with various degrees of lockdown, etc. Um, but people are coming back, and I think now we look to next season and clubs are on sale with their season tickets. And um, I, I think that that the, the large majority of them are getting back to normal levels again. So you know that starts the recovery, and, that, and that's good. And in fact, actually, some some clubs are even having to take their tickets off sale. For example, Harlequins. So I think the demands there, people are getting back into the rhythm of coming to and being feeling more confident in coming back to um, sporting events. You know, and so 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 we move on. So I think I think it has been a, sh- a shock. It has been a jolt. Um, but I think long term. Um, I think we're we're going to build back and then build from there. Do you? Um, I mean, I think probably we're too. Um, we we go back to history too often in rugby, perhaps, especially uh, you know, like some of you've been around a bit. But do you think that it's important for modern day people, uh, fans to 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 grasp the history of this league, the kind of heroism of the whole division, because it started from scratch. There was no blueprint. It was a wing in a prayer. The RFU had not laid down anything. Suddenly, people said, oh, blimey, the game's gone pro on September the 1st, 1995. Uh, we didn't even expect that. Um, so suddenly, you've got to go from naught to 100 in, in about two seconds. Do you think it's important to re- to remember that? Because it is not the Premier fo- uh, League in football, which has been going donkey's years and was always pro. It is still, in those terms, relatively youthful. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, and you know, I think you've got that. There's there's been an entrepreneurial spirit, frankly, uh, within within the club system um, since the professional era. Really, they 
they were pioneers, those people that, that um, initially backed the clubs, took that bold move into professionalism. Of course, there were, there were loads of mistakes that were made along, along that journey, but it wasn't without an appetite for, um, for risk and, and moving things forward and trying to move the dial. And there, were, there, were, there were loads of, of moments around that. You know, one of them was, um, was partnering with BT Sport, actually, which in itself was, um, was, a, you know, was, a, was essentially a sort of startup venture for BT. They hadn't, moved in, they hadn't been in TV previously. And again, they helped us massively build the, um, the sport of club rugby. So I think I think clearly people get frustrated with the pace of change. Clearly, it's it's quite easy to compare ourselves to to other sporting leagues that may have just started or um, have been around for a long time. You know, they're, they're obvious comparisons, but I think it hasn't been for the lack of, of an entrepreneurial spirit that's been seen across um, um, the, the clubs over the last 20 odd years. In, um, rightly or wrongly, I think um, people still see Premiership Rugby um, uh, and its insiders as a sort of kind of gnarly old club, veterans, benefactors, uh, grumpy, who don't, who don't agree with about much, etc. Um, have you got enough or will you be ejecting sort of outside expertise, people who are brilliant at possibly one discipline to, to augment the whole thing? Because now and again, you think it's the same people talking inside as it always was. And it'd be nice to hear sort of experts on a certain topic, be it marketing, finance, technical or whatever. Yeah, I, th- I think that was... I mean- there was an important chapter really when CVC came in because the clubs did believe at, at, at that point that you know bringing some external influence and capital w- w- was a way to bring on um, further growth. And clearly, we've had you know the last two years have been an almighty sort of false start really as, as far as growing the league because of COVID. Mm. Um, but really, that that appetite and that expertise and that 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 network that they bring is is really useful and really valuable. Um, and so, you know, in short, yes, and you know, with, with that investment comes our ability to to um, invest in people within the league, and 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 also lean on um, you know external advice and, and 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 experts to help us grow this. So, you know, in short, yes, and and, and I think that was an important chapter when when the owners uh, acknowledged that that bringing some external influence would would, would be a positive thing. Well, that was uh, that was a great man, Simon uh, Stewart. Um, we were both listening to that. Uh, don't think Sky got much of a mention there in the uh, in the television in the television stakes. Uh, maybe I missed it. No, a uh, couple of decades just rewritten from history, almost <laughs> like a Sovietization of it. Um, I, uh, joking aside, I, I do think uh, Premier Rugby needs to be careful. BT are doing a fabulous job, and I wouldn't decry them in any way. And I think it's worth saying. I haven't been with Sky in any capacity for three years, so there's nothing personal. But Sky did a huge job picking up professional rugby uh, from absolutely nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I just think Premier, you know, Premier Rugby, one day BT might not want to be their partners. And if anyone at Sky was listening to that, they'll probably say, well, thanks for the loyalty and thanks for the the, the friendliness. and I think, you know, you you actually want the opportunity of having more than one partner. I, I don't think that was very smart. But Also, uh, you, you played in a couple of these, uh, the, the big finals. Uh, they weren't the premiership finals then, but they, they, they were um, very, very meaningful cup finals. 
Um, national monument. It sounds nice that uh, the, the Premiership final should be a national monument, but there's a lot to do before it gets here, I'd say. What, what's your opinion? At the moment, it's fantasy. I mean, look, the, the cup, be it the John Player Cup, the Pilkington Cup, was a cup that had, because the game was amateur, you know, you had, Steve, what, 128, 64 teams started. So there were dreams. Mm. And by the time you got to the final, there's always been a little story somewhere. So what it was, was a sort of a baby, infinitesimally small version of the FA Cup. And when Simon talks about a sort of national monument, you know, I know the FA Cup's not what it was, but that's what comes straight to your mind, isn't it? You know, yeah. the FA Cup. and But that isn't just about the half a dozen clubs that might win it. It's about going all the way through to Hereford, to Bristol Rovers, to, to all sorts of possibilities. And if you don't have the roots there, then it just becomes, you know, the, 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 let's be honest, the Premiership final is between 13 clubs and there isn't that much uh, intrinsic support for the club game, despite what Simon said, we remain an international game. To make the club game greater, you have to ensure that the edifice is deeper and stronger. You have to look at France, where you've got 50-odd professional clubs. Now, we know only 10 or 12 could possibly end up in the final, and in the top 14 final. They're just not going to be good enough. But... What it does, it enables the, the, the support of the, of the sport to grow on a national level. And whilst we are just 13, 14 clubs, that growth will never occur and it will remain a marginalised final. And, and that's a reality. And that, in the long term, is the issue. If club rugby is going to grow it has to grow deep. At the moment, it wants to dazzle and it thinks that having a dozen super teams will change the, the face of the game. It will not. OK, there's just another thing that, um, you know, we were very enthused by our European experience uh, last last week in Marseille. We weren't too enthused by the travelling, but um, the, 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 the match and, and, as you rightly said, um, afterwards... Um, uh, um, a great match of contrasting styles, etc. The, the, the Premiership, uh, the cap, the salary cap, has gone down by 1.6 million. It's a lot of money and a lot of good players there. Do you think we're going to have a fallow period in terms of English teams in, 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 in Europe? Because that is a big reduction. Possibly for a year or two, but in the long term, Steve, I think there's a, a real bonus, uh, and that is... I think we'll have to focus even harder on our academy system. I don't think culturally uh, England is a rugby country and it's always been behind New Zealand and in many ways Wales, but Wales don't have that many players. But New Zealand, Wales, South Africa, uh, to some extent France as well, they have a, a cultural drive. And I think our academies now have an opportunity to really create a generation of English players and English coaches who understand the game. And, and I sometimes think there isn't quite the understanding still after 20 years of professionalism that there is in some other countries. There's not an instinctive feel for the game. And instinct is, is not something you're born with, but it's, you're coached into instinct from an early age. So 
I'm not pessimistic about that, Steve. I accept that for a year or two, whilst the academies get going, then we could be at a disadvantage behind the big French clubs in the Irish provinces. Um, but if we get it right, then, then I can see uh, England flourishing, uh, perhaps doing better with a £5 million wage cap than 6.4. And the other thing is, um, these are times when economic growth is difficult. We shouldn't be looking for it because we're putting ourselves under pressure when we're looking for more and more money. We've got to look at ways to sustain the game um, without looking for profit. Simon said himself, it is not a sport that is geared towards um, vast profit making. And I agree with him. But if that's going to happen, we've got to stop thinking less about uh, salary caps and more about the roots of the game and the academies. And I think that's the future for the English game. And, and hopefully it's a bright one if we learn our lesson. Very good answer. I think that was some wisdom there. Um, we're going to go on to the semi-finals in a second. Let me ask you just to have a little quick look back through the season. Um, there was no relegation. Um, your old club uh, es <laughs> escaped, would have escaped, only just escaped. Steve, from where I am, they're morally relegated and Bath should hang their heads in shame. It, it, it's been appalling. They're, to me, they're relegated, even though they're playing next year. Also, um, they'd recently, or not so recently, introduced Edward Griffiths, who, in my opinion, mm. is an excellent man on the uh, uh, for all types of premiership clubs, whether they're great or whether they're struggling. And we thought, well, that means Mr. Craig uh, is, is losing his grip on loosening his grip. Uh, there was talk of them moving away from their palatial training headquarters to somewhere a bit more mundane. Uh, there was talk of a big um, uh, ruckus there and uh, all the names changing. Suddenly, it's Griffiths who's gone and most of the names yeah. have stayed the same. Uh, did, that, did you find that very bizarre? Um, Bath are undoubtedly the worst managed team on the field and possibly off the field in the Premiership and it, it, it's translated through the results. Ed Griffiths uh, is... a, a a tough guy who's been in the cold face. He's done great things. Um, he's demanding. If you said to me, Ed Griffiths or the entire Bath management, I'd have chosen Ed Griffiths. I, I find it bizarre. Uh, and if I were a Bath fan with a season ticket, I'd be feeling pretty low at the moment. I might have chosen him as on-field captain as well, but uh, there we go. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's just uh, on the subject of... Um of uh, lucky clubs there's n nothing lucky about the four semi-finalists um a, a two great two great matches Stuart he wrote an excellent piece last week I'm sorry to keep on buttering you up but on the uh, the contrast between La Rochelle and Leinster and why Leinster however attack-minded they may be however um they keep the ball moving with fa fast play were actually hauled down by someone who didn't want to play that way is that the will that be the same? Uh, what is at stake in the semi-final? Say between Saracens and and Quinns, a fast-moving team, and also from Leicester versus Northampton, who are a fast-moving team. Are the same sort of things at stake there? Yeah, I, I'll start with the East Midlands derby, Steve, because I think the contrast is greater there. I think the Leicester pack is so much superior to the Northampton pack. Northampton are going to have to engage in a sporting form of guerrilla warfare. I, I've heard their players say we're moving away from a, a big 12 crashing up over the game line. It's almost like they're believing that they can play at pace laterally to create and find holes. Um, 
it, it's fascinating to think that they've got a chance. Chris Boyd's Hurricanes team did it when they won the championship, but they did have the likes of Bowden Barrett there, uh, and that made things easier. Uh, I think they're going to come at Leicester and try and play at 100 miles an hour. But that's all well and good if Leicester say, OK, let's play that game. Leicester aren't going to play that game. And I think, and I wrote it today, I think Leicester will look to uh, drive lineouts, to work Northampton in scrums, to commit men to break down. And, and by that, they'll gain penalties and territorial pressure. And... and there will be flashes from Northampton because they're playing that sort of rugby, but I can't really um, see them getting beyond the 50-minute stage before Leicester turn the screw on them. And I, I, I don't think Northampton have got another game plan as Ronan O'Gara had to bring down the big Lions of Leinster. They, ha um, they have actually They've got one of the... Uh, first of all, I mean, I, I hate to... Uh, um, rubber stamp Eddie Jones's uh, selections out of the blue, but Tommy Tommy Freeman clearly looked like yeah. a, like a player. Also, yeah. uh, I mean, they have got one of the best kicking fly halves in, in, in rugby. Could they not just batten down the hatches a little bit, or or no. or are you saying their pack is just not good enough even to last twenty minutes? I just think they've got to hold on to as much ball as possible and run Leicester off their legs. I, Fast rugby can be um, structured rugby, but it has to have... You, you can't win any game. You know that, Jonesy. Mm. You watch enough rugby without foundations. Uh, you can't. And I just think there's a difference between the two packs. Uh, Chris Boyd said uh, after they smashed Newcastle, it's all well and good, but our worst two performances of the season have been against Leicester. The best... Um, set piece and structured pack in England has been Leicester all season. I don't think there, there's any coincidence there. And uh, brilliant as I've been on the eye with six bonus points in their last seven games. Uh, rugby's not the theatre. You can't just go out there and, and put on a brilliant show. There's always someone from the other the audience going to come up and put a spoke in the whole production and ruin it. And, and I think Leicester have that capacity to just put their big size 16 boots into the Northampton game plan, slow it down and, and dominate the game. And also, less of a very aggressive press defence. And if Northampton are playing going backwards from their 22, Steve, it's a panacea for um, turnovers and tries. So I think it'll be quite high scoring. I think Northampton might score 20 plus but I could see Leicester going 40-50. Well, don't forget that uh, on, on Saturday uh, against Newcastle, who did play with guts, uh, Newcastle scored four tries, uh, including three, uh, while um, uh, which were basically turnover tries and by people trying to play too fast and too speculatively. So, Well, I haven't seen the game, Steve, but if Newcastle are, do are, are doing that to Northampton... Uh, Northampton have to play that way to win. I mean, wh where do you stand on what, what's going to happen if Leicester are turning them over uh, I, in Northampton's own half? I, t I totally agree. I, I will say, not from a technical point of view, that 
Um, it, it was lovely to be there. The atmosphere was fantastic. Uh, some of the players were leaving, and uh, the players, the, the fans, all came on the ground afterwards. They got. They are a great club, great community club. Yeah. They, they they were the first to make a profit in the professional era. God, that seems a long way ago. Uh, Chris Boyd's off, but uh, they they got some tough old boys there. They've got Courtney Laws. Um, I do feel that uh, Leicester should be the winners. But it's an East Midlands derby, and, and I guess you, you you never know. So at least it's uh, it'll be a big game, packed out. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's the odd shade of card, yellow or possibly something nasty. Oh, but... so. <laughs> yeah, we, let's, let's not let our secret wish that there's a big punch up uh, come to the surface. <laughs> Saracens and Harlequins, not the two blood brothers, not the two lovers of uh, of rugby. Um, again, do we got a stylistic difference there? I, I know you people think there is. I, I still think that Saracens can play good try scoring attacking rugby, but uh, narrow favorite, Saris, clear favorites, a home advantage, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the different surface for Queens. Um, and I, I think they just have a little bit of edge up front. What's interesting, Steve, um, they're both quite structured teams, but people forget about Saracens, uh, the quality and accuracy of their back play, and I, I, I fully agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think if, if Farrell and Daly link up, they're doing some very, very clever things, and, and Good's brilliant at the back. <clears throat> Saracens are underestimated behind, uh, and Harlequins are under underestimated up front. Yes. Um, so, it really, it, it, Harlequins have got to have one hell of a game up front. And if they do, I think they've got a bit more chance than Northampton um, because their pack is stronger and they have this facility to score 15, 20 points in the, in, in the drop of a hat. I mean, Exeter got 47 and Harlequins didn't seem that concerned about the number of points they conceded from close-range tries, which would worry me because Saracens, I think, will play that sort of game. But for all the concerns about 47 points, you know, uh, uh, Smith and Dombran created three wonderful tries and they can do that. So Saracens have got to lock them up and they've got to close them down and they've got to put the squeeze on them. They will come up fast, uh, but Smith, Kerr and Esterhazen tend to be better when they're playing in the faces of opponents. When, when Harlequins played Gloucester, Twickenham, I was uh, HQ for that game, Gloucester didn't press their defensive line very fast. And that axis of, of Smith and Esterhazen mm. um, struggled because they were doing things five metres from the game line. So I'll be really interested to see whether Sarri say, come on, we're going to just try and tear lumps out of you or... We're just going to see what you do off a slower platform. It's fascinating. And there's no guarantee Saracens will do what they always do because in, in Mark McCall, they've got, I think, the shrewdish coach in, in English club rugby by a distance. And they will look at Harlequins, I think, like Ronan O'Gara looked at uh, Leinster and yeah. just try and pick apart a few things that can make the difference. I, I think it's a... A fascinating game because Harlequins have got amazing firepower. Uh, Saracens have got an all-round game. And also, and, and, and 
the edge is going to be real. Harlequins are the defending champions, but they won the championship when an awful lot of, of, of Saracens' so-called friends in Premiership rugby were very keen to see them go down. I felt, like you, Steve, I felt Saracens' biggest problem uh, was they actually were too far ahead of everyone. Had they been a mid-table team, I don't think there would have been the same stink about it. They made mistakes, of course they did. Um, but I think Saracens, knowing the way they think about things, will want to really make a point, not just against Harlequins, but against every other team in the Premiership. More than any side, I think they will be desperate, even Leicester, more than Leicester, to, to win this title. And, and it's going to make it a, a, a really um, serrated sort of afternoon, I would say, at Stonex. So that sounds good. Um, and we've got the very man to report on it. Mr Barnes will be there for the for the Sunday Times. Um just very briefly, we're going to go on to, or not very briefly, we're going to go on to the URC. They've now reached the semi-final stages, Stuart as well. Uh, Leinster um, against Glasgow on Saturday were clearly suffering the ill effects of uh, their defeat yeah. in the, in Europe. They only scored 76 points against Glasgow. Uh, so they appear to have recovered quite well and were without without Johnny Sexton. Uh, so m- must be favourite, Stuart, against, against the Bulls at home. Yeah, they're at home. Uh, if they were playing at Loftus with a big balls pack, you'd think it's going yeah. to be a tough old tight game. But Leinster have to be favourite there. Um, I, I'll be fascinated to see whether Leinster have learnt some of their lessons from that final defeat against La Rochelle because the Bulls can apply physical pressure in the same way that uh, Skelton and uh, Antonio did. Mm. Um so I, I find Leinster maybe the most fascinating team along with Saracens for the rest of the season because it will give us a clue as well about Ireland's capacity to go to New Zealand uh, and win and stay right at the top of the international game. So I, that Leinster-Bulls uh, game is really one to keep an eye on for short-term and long-term reasons. Sure. The, the other final is, incidentally, the, the one account of the Leinster game, this is my uh, one-man campaign to stamp out modern interna- modern. Uh, rubbish in newspapers. One account said that Dan Sheehan bagged a brace. Bagged a brace. No, he didn't. If he bagged a brace, it meant he shot two pheasants. He didn't bag a brace. He scored two tries. Why not just say Dan Sheehan scored two tries? Then we know what you're talking about. But Steve, you're absolutely right. Um, I'd like to think, because I loathe that word, I don't understand it, and in 20 years plus of commentating, I never used the word brace. But I would say any game of rugby, anywhere in the world, if someone scores two tries, they've bagged a brace. The commentators do it all the time. It's the biggest load of nonsense ever. Well, exactly. But there again, you know, it, it's still an upper-class sport, isn't it? We're, we're all out shooting pheasants. Well, hang on a minute. Your your one of your books kept on breaking into Latin. I think I think that's <laughs> the same. Oh, that's the same. But at least you didn't say "bag de brace" in Latin. Well, uh, that was that was the influence of my um, political hero Boris Johnson. You know, I, I just well, of course, of course yeah, but, yeah. Well, you've run out of ideas, quite a bit of Latin, I think. Well, exactly, yeah. Uh, Stormers Ulster. Stormers will have. Um, Steve Kitschoff and Franz Malherb up front, which is which is dangerous. Probably too good for Ulster, I would have thought, at home in Cape Town. 
Again, it's in Cape Town, and, and they're a strong team. They, they, they're looking pretty good. I, I, that, could, that could be a, a, a very good final. I don't think that uh, South African teams should be playing in Europe for South African and European reasons. Uh, but that's as it is, and I can see it being a good final. Um, Ulster uh, deserve a word of credit. I think they've been very good this season. They were m- massively competitive against Toulouse in two legs. Um, they've gone well. Um, they put away Munster and <laughs> sort of bringing the circle round again. I think if you're a Bath fan, you're looking at that Munster performance in the big games. And you're thinking, is Johan van Graan really the number one or is he a, a sort of a technician as a coach? And you'd be a little bit worried. But anyway, um, yeah, Leinster versus um, uh, the Stormers seems a, a likely final. It, it does. And uh, actually, I, I saw the Ulster-Munster game and blimey, uh, Munster by their high standards are not only very poor, but not even very interested, it seemed to me. But that's, that's a fair old look through... Uh, the the season and uh, the regular seasons and also through the two looking forward to the two semi-finals I think if ever as Simon Massey Taylor said they're going to play the two semi-finals in a big ground as a kind of double header this would be the one I can see it being at um, Tottenham Hotspur these two or even uh, oh, the, the no. even a minor ground at uh, at uh, North London I think there are one or two uh, coming up next the final. I was going to say Denouement, but it's not that. God or Goddess of the Week. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Stuart, your deity or devil of the week? Well, normally, uh, can, can I can I have um, more than one? But it's encapsulated in the one answer. Well, I, you know, I'm just going to go to the uh, the, ju- the adjudicator then, there. Steve, I'm not a religious man. I'm not a believer in God, so I'm choosing <laughs> an entity, and that entity is the shed. Yeah, a load, a load. Saturday, and, and I felt, uh, you know. Sarri's team is terrible. Third team, second team, it's going to be tedious. But the um, mood was excellent. Uh, The shed were in good spirits. And when they started to score lots and lots of tries, um, they cheerfully mocked Saracens in a way that made you think, this is the epicentre of of supporters. A bit of edge with a bit of joy as well. I've always liked the Shed, and because I was a Bath player, it's something that people have been confused about. They think that the Shed and Barnes um, have never got on. Well, I am going to come clear and say that I have some degree of affection for the Shed as an entity. They are my god of the week. The Shed is the god of the week. That's fine. The adjudicators have given me the thumbs up. That's very good. Um so that's about ten thousand gods of the gods of the week. Uh, well, that's another thing. There's still there. Who's yours then? Uh, well, it's. Uh, I'm going to have just have one person. I think it's. 
it's first of all, um, as I say, I don't like agreeing with Eddie, but Tommy Freeman was is is a massive contender. So too George McGuigan, um, the poor lad. On Saturday, he he drove for the line, was about to score the try, which which would have made him the joint top scorer in the whole Premiership. He was stopped illegally, and a, a, a um, and a penalty try was awarded, but obviously didn't go to George. So he came only second to Max Malins. But what what a player, Tommy Freeman too. But obviously, I think this week it's going to be someone from the Premier 15s final. Uh, it's got to be Marley. I think they come to the stage now where they give her the player of the match before the game because it saves waiting. Um, Marley Packer is my goddess of the week, uh, steaming on now towards the World Cup build-up and the World Cup itself. So we've got the collective of the shed and the individual that is the great Marley Packer. Uh, thank you to Stuart, thank you to Simon and to Marley. Been great talking to you all and to get those insights. And we look forward to regathering next Monday for another episode of The Ruck. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.